0: Welcome to Impact, where we focus on helping you grow a business that amplifies your unique genius, multiplies your income, and transforms lives. Each episode, you'll discover an actionable framework based on what's working right now for top brands and thought leaders. This episode, you'll learn how my client replaced 40% of her income after losing it due to the coronavirus quarantine and how she was able to quickly launch three new successful streams of online income in just three weeks. Hello. And thanks for listening. I'm your host Jason Van Orden, and it's been a little while since I've been able to put out an episode. Some uh, really wild stuff has happened here in the world since I last released an episode of Impact. Thank you for your patience. Of course, you know we're all juggling new things and dealing with the day-to-day uncertainty of the situation right now. And uh, for me, that has included learning how to run my business while also helping my daughter, who's now at home every day, all day, which is wonderful. But now I get to also dedicate. Some of my time to helping her with schooling at home. And I imagine some of you out there listening to this can relate with the situation. Uh, One way or another, I think a lot of us are adapting to new schedules. And uh, anyway, so that's led to, you know, some things just needing to be put a little bit to the side, which included getting podcasts out as often as I would normally like to. But here we are back again with episode four of Impact. And this one, I really wanted to focus on something that really, related to the current events, to the context that we're into. I know that podcasting is kind of this evergreen thing, and somebody could be listening to this two years from now and be thinking, well, I don't know that this applies to me because the coronavirus hopefully is you know in the rearview mirror. Uh, that said, the, the content today is still very evergreen because whether it's Uh, disruption from the coronavirus or just other disruption that makes it so that you have to pivot very quickly in your business. The things that we're going to talk about uh, today in the episode are still going to be very relevant now or even years in the future. This episode also marks another uh, new thing for this, uh, for Impact, and that is that this is the first time I'm doing an interview. Uh, Again, I'm, you know, experimenting with different formats, and I knew I didn't want to have a purely interview show when I started this podcast, just simply because there are a lot of interview shows out there. Nothing wrong with that format, but uh, I really wanted to try bringing new things to the table with uh, Impact and the formats that I use. Now, that said, though, I had a very compelling and timely uh, case study that I wanted to share with you. This is uh, an interview that, I'm gonna do, uh, that I did with uh, one of my own clients that I've worked with closely on a number of projects. And she had, it, you know, like, like many people, you know, very stunning, uh, you know, caught off guard experience where she found out, you know, in a matter of like 24 to 48 hours that about 40% of her income was evaporating, just gone because everybody was, you know, closing down. Shows were being canceled. Uh, she works in in the performance industry. She teaches dance. Uh, she teaches at Princeton, but she also does directing and cho- choreography for shows. She does workshops. She does mentoring, and a lot of those things just dried up as you know some clients left uh, New York City, and clearly you know any kind of gatherings were no longer going to be possible. So you know that left her in a situation where she had less money coming in, money that she needed to pay bills, money that she needed to pay rent, and to keep her business expenses covered as well. Now, whether or not you've been hit uh, to that degree or possibly even more, I I think a lot of us right now are trying to decide you know, what, what exactly should we focus on in our business? What are the best opportunities moving forward? That might mean uh, pivoting and launching new income streams. That might mean just shifting priorities. Uh, maybe things aren't quite as, as uh, things that were working before that you're planning on doing before just no longer are, are relevant or working now. And, you know, but something that's become clear to me over the past several weeks as I've worked with clients and had conversations about what is working now, even in the time of, of uncertainty and coronavirus, is that uh, online courses fall into a category of of significant opportunities right now when disruption comes along there's always that opportunity within it that we can look for and you know everyone's needs and circumstances shifted very significantly overnight And that included a lot of people now at home, more people online, more people doing uh, electronic education, education through the Internet. Entire universities are doing that. Entire companies having to do training through online. Uh, You know, we've seen Zooms. Uh, usage and user base just explode uh, in just exponential numbers in the last several weeks because of the fact that so many people are at home. And I've definitely seen this interest not only in creating more digital, you know, people being forced in that direction of taking things online, but then also just more interest in, okay, well, if this is the reality I'm in, what can I do to to transition things I was doing offline online? And uh, one reason I really like this case study I'm going to share with you here today is that this is somebody in, again, performance, in the in the the uh, perform art, uh, performing art industry where being in person is, you know, very important. And a lot of the, basically, you know, she's been teaching for years and years, and that's always been in the form of, you know, going into a studio with a group of people and, you know, being able to work with them directly. And she needed to figure out a way to take that uh, online. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that here in this episode. I also have put together a download for you. Now, usually with these episodes, I'd like like to put together uh, some kind of downloadable framework that goes along with this but uh, this time, the framework, rather than being a document, is actually a, a video. So, I did the interview here that I'm going to play for this episode, but then I also put together a short training that uh, I sent out to a number of people on my email list and shared in a few different places. I did it live for a handful of people as well. And it, uh, you know, what I invite you to do is listen to this case study as we talk to Alexandra. And if that resonates with you, if it feels like there's pieces there that very much can apply to your situation, then I would invite you. To check out this this downloadable video that breaks it into like the five steps that we took more specifically to uh, make everything happen that she she talks about. But there's a, there's a lot of good stuff to take away from the episode itself, and then that is a, an excellent companion. So you can find that by going to impactdownloads.com forward slash pivot again that's impactdownloads.com forward slash pivot just enter in your email address and you'll get immediate access to that video that accompanies that video training that accompanies this um that, that accompanies this this podcast right here. I want to give you just a little more context about Alexandra before we get into the interview. She's a choreographer. She choreographs for a number of shows, including a lot of theater, uh, choreographing not only dances, but also movement. She also has her own extensive background, internationally acclaimed background, as a performer, a dancer. She danced for seven years with the prestigious Bill T. Jones, Arnie Zane Dance Company here in New York City, and they traveled all over the world dancing. She's now an adjunct professor at Princeton and runs a number of workshops and uh, does mentoring uh, here in the the New York uh, area for movers and dancers and performers of all kinds and uh, she's really built up an interesting portfolio career and these different income streams that she's made for herself in the performance art uh, in the performance art space. She's got a BFA and an MFA in dance, but she's also been certified in this thing called movement analysis. So she's a certified movement analyst. And the reason I mention that is because she teaches at an institute here in New York City that had to completely go online when coronavirus hit. And uh, that's been a key part of also her forming some new income streams for herself by taking that online uh, really for, for the first time. I think that's that's about all there is to say to, to set this up. I, I really wanted to to get something out that could be helpful right now. Again, I know a lot of people are, are trying to figure out things in one way or another. And, you know, it really helps to hear other people's experiences, kind of normalizes our own experience. And really hope that this interview also gives you some solid ideas of what you can be doing right now to create immense value in the marketplace, uh, find new ways to serve your intended audience, your intended clients and customers, and and even launch new income streams very quickly, if that's something that you need to do or want to do uh, because of, uh, of the disruption that's going on right now. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the interview with Alexandra. Hi Alexandra. Hi. Thanks for chatting. So let's talk first about some of the ways you were making money. You're very much in the gig economy, freelancer in a lot of ways, I already mentioned you're an adjunct professor, but just fill us in on some of the different income streams that you had pre-coronavirus.
1: Well, I would say it's split evenly between, in general, teaching and making dances, but those fork off themselves. So the teaching, some of it is certainly my work at Princeton, but then I run a nonprofit dance company and I run a lot of workshops annually through that company. So we usually run about 9 to 12 workshops a year.
0: And those are all in person, right?
1: Yes, they're all in-person workshops, and I at least teach in part in about 90 to 95% of them. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple that I sometimes curate with other people. They're still live workshops that can't happen now. But most of them I teach live myself. Um, That's the teaching. Um, Sort of inside that or tangential to that, I do a bunch of live mentorship often going into studios with younger artists and giving them feedback on their work um but it's all still live studio work um commissions and then i choreograph for theater so of course all of that is mandated to be in the studio
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so a lot of ways you think oh i've got a portfolio diversified career that's great things you know one thing wanes the others will still be there But then what happened? There was a 24 to 48-hour period where things changed very rapidly for you in mid-March.
1: Yes, exactly. There was one day, uh, both of the shows that I was uh, a part of, the choreographer for, uh, both of them closed. Um, uh, My pedagogy course, it became clear that I was not going to be able to run that, so we canceled it. Um, There was a looming threat that I would have to cancel my summer intensive, which honestly covers our general operating expenses for about three to four months after it happens that's Mm -hmm. our biggest annual money maker so it became clear that that was in jeopardy we've recently canceled it um and then i also have a little side gig as a part-time masseuse so of course i was not going to be going into people's homes and touching them right so yeah in about really it was 24 hours Mm -hmm. um i would say about 40% of my income looked like it was in jeopardy. Disappeared,
0: yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's start talking about the ways that you've pivoted, because there's a number of initiatives that are very interesting and that are starting to pan out for you. Uh, Let's start with, okay, so you imminently had this pedagogy class, so that's uh, dance teaching, for all those who are wondering, dance pedagogy class, so teaching people how to teach dance better. Um, Again, that was gonna be a week long in person. And, you know, so you were losing all that that money and you had people signed starting to sign up for this, right? Yes. So then, yeah, what was your decision there uh, when it came to, you know, canceling, not canceling, what to do with it? What happened?
1: Well, that was supposed to be a five week course, a weekly course, three hours a week. Um, I did have a few people already registered for it. Um, It seemed pretty impossible to think about how I could could do it remotely. Um, The. Mainstay of that course is I give people tasks in the room. They go off and work for a little while, and then they teach people live in Mm -hmm. the room, and then we give feedback on how they taught. So that seemed like a no-brainer. You can't do that online. And then I started to question that given. Mm And I decided that there were so many topics that we get into in the room, and so many topics of conversation that had come up in live discussion that I didn't feel that we had time to fully flesh out. And I thought, this is not impossible, actually. It won't be so much about practicing teaching, but it will be about questioning, challenging, unpacking and repacking your teaching. And we actually don't have to teach to do that. Mm Um, any more than we have to be in another country to learn a language. So I did feel like it was possible. So I I put out a call, like, if I were going to do this, who would be interested? And I got a pretty overwhelming response, which is something I want to talk about in a minute, Um, just how my online presence changed during the pandemic. And it came from a very truthful place, but I think it really fed into all of the things that you're Mm -hmm. asking me and are Mm -hmm. going to ask me. Um, In any case, I put out a little call, a little inquiry call, you know, who would be interested in this? I got a pretty overwhelming response. I priced it very low because I knew it needed to be a last minute decision for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of folks are really stressing about money in my industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started it, I think, 10 days later. Mm. It was a very short turnaround. It was quite stressful, I'll say, from the back end of it to try to put together a course I really believed in. And I will say, like, I'm still putting it together kind of on the moving train. But so far, we've had two out of our four sessions, and they've been pretty magical. And I'm really happy with it. And I've learned a ton about how I want to teach and what I want to teach that I wouldn't have learned live in the room, because I would have used all my You know my skills and my tools and my exercises that I've used before and have worked beautifully I wouldn't have reinvented this class for the live version but I had to reinvent it and now I'm super happy with the things we came up with
0: so like I say you questioned the given as to the fact that it felt like it had to be in person at least the way that it was structured it would have to be in person but you took enough time to step back and go okay if this had to be online And as I remember, if I remember correctly, you were also responding to a lot of dance teachers who were suddenly thrown into a different situation too and kind of stressing out about how to teach. So how did that feed into your decision?
1: Well, two things happen at once. Um, My course at Princeton went online you know, without me making that choice, so that was something that came from Princeton. Now you're teaching remotely, mm-hmm. so the given of you can't teach a dance class online was already taken away from me by someone else. Right. So having to face the challenge of putting that class online did make me uh, reassess my own absolutes about how you can't teach movement mm-hmm. online. Um, the other thing I'm going to jump into what I said before for a moment, mm-hmm. which is. My online presence changed quite a bit, and this all feeds into your question right mm-hmm. now. I felt, as I think many of us did, very out of control. Um, all these things were coming from other places you know, that were not initiated by me, and suddenly school was canceled, and I have to homeschool my kids, and work is changing, and honestly the one thing that felt um, really calming to me was small acts of service. So. I became very present on Facebook. I always have had a, an identity, certainly, and I don't adore the word brand, but I would say that I, I have a certain kind of brand online.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that service has been part of it, um, but not necessarily the central part of it. Um, but I suddenly found that making offerings, putting people together, seeing needs and putting them together felt like... Um, it calmed me down. So one thing I did was I said, I recorded this 12 minute meditation audio. I had already recorded that for my students at Princeton. I had it sitting in my phone and I just put out a little, you know, inquiry who, who would like this. I'll send it to you. Send me your email. And, and it wasn't like, I want to capture your email. I didn't capture any of those emails. It was purely just an offering. I had about 500 people respond to me and I emailed each of them individually. A friend of mine said, why don't you just post the link and then they can grab it themselves. There's something about the personal connection, the person to person connection Mm -hmm. that I don't know. I didn't think it through, but it felt really important to me. Sure. Um, At the same time that that was happening, I was seeing a lot of teachers online because I was on Facebook so much. I was seeing a ton of posts from friends who were really stressed about teaching online suddenly. Mm -hmm. You know, many of them had, as I did, just a week to try to figure out and really release all their givens about how they teach, what they teach, um, why they teach even, you know, and really like zoom back out reassess their learning outcomes, figure out what's possible, invent stuff, and also be a source of nurturing and compassion and security for their students who need it even more than we do. Mm-hmm. So Facebook was a place where a lot of those professors were coming to seek information or, you know, um, compassion from other people. And I found myself in a position of sharing a lot of things that I had formerly considered proprietary mm. playlists video lists syllabi I'm like just take it here are uh, scores that I use here are things I've created all this content that I had you know held dear for years well I made that and it's important to me it's very personal yeah. and it's mine I suddenly was just spraying them everywhere yeah. just take it take it use it credit me if you can, we're done.
0: These are all materials that you had used before for classes, workshops.
1: Yes, and things also that I was making now. I was feeling like making new content for, my students got me just generating content, right? Um, So I felt like I saw this really strong need in the community for some guidance and that teachers were feeling really lost. And so that's one thing that a pedagogy course does is it gives teachers some kind of frame around them or some kind of mentorship or support system. Even the most advanced teachers, it gets lonely. And
0: right. it's a
1: place where you feel that you are always have to have some kind of answer or the buck stops with you. And so to put yourself in a position where somebody's helping you with your teaching, mm-hmm. I think, can be very recuperative. And I have some you know, people that I am... Awed by who chose to take this class um, so between wanting to pivot on the live pedagogy class feeling that really deep need from my community for some support around their teaching through the ep- epidemic and this like newly um, generative relationship mm-hmm. I was having on Facebook the course just filled up um, beyond my imagining. Mm-hmm. Um, normally when it's live, also I limit it to eight people because each person has to have a chance to teach. Right. As I was taking down that requirement for how much everybody would be teaching, they do still teach us things, but little bites. Right. Um, I realized I could, you know, pretty drastically increase the number of students I could take. So I drastically slashed the price so that people would be able to do a last minute, you know. Decision. Yeah. yeah even while they were stressed with money. I radically increased the number of students I could take and it also made me realize that this is a course that could be an online course even without my presence like this started to inspire me to actually create use a lot of this content and create a video series mm-hmm. that came with a reading writing and making you know um, portfolio and I could eventually turn that into something that could become passive income, which is not something that either teachers or dance artists really know even how to pronounce. You usually think about,
0: yeah. (laughs) Totally. Okay, so so that was a a success. It was, I like the speed of implementation, the responding to needs, being of service, um, and questioning givens. Those are all really valuable lessons to pull from that. Uh, Now let's talk about another one of your initiatives which is a site that you have called Praxis Space, which is a, a community, online community, membership site for artists, performing artists, a lot of dancers. Um, what what kind of opportunity was presented there when it comes to Praxis Space post coronavirus? What did you do there?
1: So Praxis Space felt delicate to me. Um, certainly I have no interest in trying to milk the pandemic or people's fear cycle for profit and I absolutely don't have that as a goal, and I also don't want that to even cross somebody's mind because that seems just tragic to me. Um, Praxis Space really began for the same reasons that people are initiating things right now, artistic isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, Praxis Space began because of like generalized artistic isolation. It, right. it did not start in the pandemic, it started over a year ago. Um, and it was for people that just, couldn't you know? Weren't in a geographic location where they felt really inspired by their artistic community. It was a way for people not to always have to have all the ideas for themselves. And so I felt like, my goodness, this is such a huge opportunity for this to help people. Um, but I really didn't want it to come off as me trying to milk a crisis. Right. So I did make um, a pretty radical discount offer for people so that they could just join it. But right in the offer I also said, if you need this for free and you can't pay for it, you can have it for free. Here's the link. Contact us, I didn't yeah. yeah, I didn't even ask for like, send me a letter, talk to me about it, we can make a deal. It was literally you can pay oh, okay. a very discounted rate for the next three months. Mm-hmm. Here's the link. If you need it for free, here's the link. Mm-hmm. And I let people just self select. Mm-hmm. And if they needed it for free take it. Mm -hmm. And if they could pay the very, very modest fee, take it. Mm -hmm. Now, Praxis Space is a community that is going to thrive the more people are in it, similar Mm -hmm. to Facebook, right? Um, And we hadn't hit critical mass. So I, I am hoping that it becomes a service for people, but that also the people that are coming into it, even if they're coming in for free, are going to really make it turn over in a way that it actually hadn't yet. Right. And you know, there is something about this particular quality of the crisis that was what I was getting at when I dreamt up praxis space. So right. I think it's touching the nerve that was the the like nerve of origin,
0: right. Totally. Let's talk about how you promoted that. We decided to, to do something specific there that seems to have worked pretty well. Let's talk about that.
1: Yes, well, you came up with a great idea and, and fed it to my team um, that I should create something that felt really valuable and like an offering. We toyed around with the idea of um, needing to collect email addresses for people to get the content. And we decided that now just wasn't the time to do that. So there was an opportunity for them to enter their email, but they didn't need to. So I wrote an essay. I wrote what we call a score, which is basically a series of prompts for somebody to create something, Mm -hmm. Um, prompts or something coming from the outside that sometimes make it easier to create, especially if your brain is not locking into your usual skill sets. I created a score. Uh, wrote an essay about artistic isolation and creating art in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a series of resources for people that I had gathered free stuff that was happening in the dance field online and some videos to watch. And I called it a little artistic care package. Mm-hmm. And I just put online, this was your suggestion that I, I write, if you'd like this, comment below. Mm-hmm. So obviously the comments of which There were at this point. This was through
0: Facebook. It was
1: through Facebook um, on a series of different, like my page, of course, but then on different groups Groups, that I'm part of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So at your suggestion, I I wrote, you know, I have this thing. This is what it's like. If you would like it, comment below. Mm -hmm. And I got about 600 comments. And then I commented back to each of those with a link to the. PDF And on that page with the PDF was also a link to sign up for my mailing list. Mm -hmm. So that was totally optional. I wasn't trying to get anything by giving this thing. Um, And then in that link was also this deeply discounted offer for Praxis Space and the offer to join for free if they needed. So it felt like it, for me, rode the line, which is a very delicate line between trying to... um, swing this opportunity to create some momentum for Praxis Space, also to help my current members mm-hmm. to have a broader, deeper support system, mm-hmm. and making a pure offering. And um, I think we got about 100 new email addresses out of it.
0: So people still signed up with it, being, even with that optional, to get the, the piece of content.
1: They did. And we have about, I think, 20 new members Awesome. Um, about three quarters of them are paying mm-hmm. on the discount offer, and a quarter of them are free, and I, they're both wonderful Some to new me. New life in
0: your yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to read the post here because I thought it was a pretty good post. This is the post that you use to let people know there was this free uh, care package, as you call it, and this is the kind of content that normally is inside your paid membership, yes. but you're giving away for freely. So, so you say here, hi, teacher and artist friends and friends of friends. I wrote a little something about artistic isolation and making art in a crisis and made a score for movement creation with some resources for reading and viewing that relate to it. A little mini artistic self-care package, it's free. Comment below if you would like me to send it to you and I will send you the link. Feel free to use with students. If it's useful, credit me please, or for your beautiful selves, feel free to tag people or share. And just on this post, you have 222 comments and three shares, but then yeah, you post a bunch of other places. And like you said, got several hundred responses, which is awesome. So more of just that, yeah, kind of being of service, but then finding a creative way for it also in being of service to benefit something you are already doing. So
1: Right. That. And then another thing that happened is I was seeing so many parents who were stressed out about homeschooling and yeah. so many of my, I'm in the theater world, mm-hmm. so so many of my out-of-work actors were really facing severe devastation, like I can't buy groceries, devastation. Um, and my parents are old, and I don't want to move back to their house because I don't want to mm. threaten their health. Right, and I don't know what to do. And yeah, I thought, Well, these two people need to come together. So I started a series. Um, I I uh, engaged one of my favorite New York theater companies, The Coop, to partner with me on creating something we call actors read stories. And so twice a day, there's a professional actor reading stories that we've like curated and set up for them. To kids that want to join the mm-hmm. zoom call and then it's fully donation based and they donate directly to the actor mm-hmm. and that also created a certain kind of momentum i definitely did it entirely as a service oriented idea but as a dance artist who has been in the dance world for almost 20 years um and has been moving into theater yeah it has been great and generative for me inside my community to like just enliven myself with them and make offerings to them mm-hmm. and you know become, um, become somebody that they can trust and depend on and that feels really important to me right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so as you're building your visibility and network in the theater world, a welcome byproduct of this just great idea of service that you had to help actors, turns out it may also have some additional benefit for you and that's always nice and nothing wrong with that but um, awesome I think we can definitely see why uh, one of your strengths finder strengths is activator (laughs) 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 because you're just like "Mm, make all these things happen amazing okay so then there's one more uh, initiative I wanted to talk about and that's the Barteneff classes Uh, Barteneff I'll let you describe what it is. It's a very (laughs) niche part of movement and dance and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this is uh, the reason I want you to talk about this is because, I mean, first of all, all of this is not your B2B space. And I think it's easier, you know, a lot of times when there's case studies and examples and it's like, oh, well, it's examples of other people teaching or helping businesses it's like, well, of course it works better for them because they're selling this valuable business stuff. And not to say that art and dance is not as valuable as business, but you know, it's like, look, here, this like, consumer-based, art-based thing that some people might be, oh, that'd be really hard to take online or make money out of. You're actually doing that. Um, so let's talk about these Bartenev classes that, and, and how they came about.
1: Okay, uh, well, Bartenia Fundamentals is um, a technique that came through Ermgard Bartenev. Um, who was working through the early 70s. Um, She's a German choreographer, moved to New York. She developed a system of really um, honing in and targeting your biomechanics for more efficient movement, uh, functional movement, and expressive movement. So basically it's, um, it's like a somatic technique for movers of any kind, and it's a pretty... Yeah, it's a pretty niche mm-hmm. thing, yeah. right? Um, it's not a big sweaty movement class. It's mm-hmm. not particularly dance. It's really more about pathways of bones and joint action. And mm. It's pretty... Sounds nerdy. It's pretty nerdy. I like it. <laughs> it's pretty I like nerdy. It. <laughs> so because it's so niche, even live classes, even in a metropolitan hub, mm-hmm. and even in the dance capital of the world, which is New York, live classes are not super popular, and mm. very few people are teaching them. Um, I think I'm one of the only people that I know of in New York that has been commonly teaching it live, and those classes, I'm thrilled when I get 12 to 15 students. in mm-hmm. them. Um, so I work for the Laban Institute for Movement Studies. I'm one of their faculty members. Um, they have a broader institute that's there to help people who have gotten their movement analysis certification CMA. Um, And they approached me to ask me if I wanted to teach some kind of review course for people who had this degree. So I would say that there's maybe 30 people who have this degree in New York City, but there's probably i 'm going to say seven hundred and fifty in the United States, mm-hmm. not a big well,
0: right,
1: however, it is a big well if you 're online mm. and it is a big well if you 're online and people are suddenly wanting some kind of inspiration or impetus or reimagining or physical work embodiment et cetera Suddenly, seven hundred and fifty people is a huge well mm-hmm. right. And so, yeah, I teach live in New York. I get 12 to 15 people. But we put together this online class, review class. Zoom had a membership um, limit capacity of 100 people. We sold out in two days. Mm. Um, almost another 100 bought the recording like, within the next week. So that was a huge um, revelation for me. And the biggest part of the revelation is that you actually can teach movement online mm-hmm. efficiently, um, which then inspired me to do more classes and suggest more classes to the Institute. It has since become a pretty thriving series with other teachers as well. Um, I didn't have any interest in being the sole teacher. I just you know, was interested in trying to help get them mm-hmm. rolling on it and then you know, of course, that leaves the window open for me to propose things. So I'm going to do a two-day workshop in a another really niche thing, which mm-hmm. is effort theory for actors. Um, other people are taking over the Barteneff series, and I'm sure I'll come back to it. But the Institute has also realized that this is something that has legs. And it's got traction for after the crisis is over, Mm -hmm. because we realize there is this very diffuse audience for it, but actually they're a very hearty, very hungry audience, and they really desperately want the work, and none of it is being taught by some of them, Mm -hmm. and very little of it by those of us even in pretty central locations. So suddenly we uncovered this need that somehow we hadn't really um, recognized before, and it became an opportunity to connect with people all over the world through teaching in a way that's incredibly gratifying. Mm -hmm. That class I taught for 100 people that were all over the country was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was so magical to be able to basically be in a room with all these people, some of them masters in the field whose books are on my shelf, Mm -hmm. and I got to, you know, Facilitate a class with them and receive texts from them and you know, suddenly I feel actually more connected to that community than Mm. I have ever felt before And I've had this degree for six years
0: Right, so new opportunities for you help replace some income that you've lost new opportunities for this little niche educational institution that I'm sure welcomes any income Especially, you know in coronavirus when a lot of educational institutions trying to figure out what's gonna happen in the future um How did they initially come about the idea? Like, why was it even this like, oh, well, you teach this class online, Alexandra?
1: Uh, They were hearing a lot of requests for some kind of content from the membership Mm -hmm. of people who have this degree, certified Mm -hmm. movement analyst. Um, I mean, I think they probably got 15 or 20 people on a thread saying, oh yeah, I'd love that. Oh yeah, I'd love Mm -hmm. that. And it was enough for them to say, this is interesting for us. They absolutely came to me with the idea for the first class. After that first class was such an unexpected success, um, we all got together for about a two-hour meeting and started really brainstorming, like, what else could we do? What do people want? One thing that we realized in that class is that a bunch of people, like those 20 people who had said, yeah, I'd really like that, wanted it for three separate reasons. So I suggested we fork that type of class Mm -hmm. into three separate classes so that you could really attract just the 50 people who mm-hmm. want a particular class, and that they're not wishing it was a different class. Yeah. So you know, one thing about that kind of catch-all class was that it gave us a lot of information about what people want, and that we could really, you know, it was an empathy experiment mm-hmm. to really kind of listen to people's experiences of what they had in class, including people who were saying, oh, I wish there was more of this, or I wish mm-hmm. it had gone in this direction. And we thought, great, let's create let's listen to that. Instead of hearing that as negative, you know, feedback or something, let's hear it as a need, a set of needs that are different, differentiated from each other. Mm-hmm. Let's and this is kind of what this practice does. It like zooms back out and separates things and, and also puts things together and um Oh the philosophy the of Bartania. Bartaniaf okay. and love on movement analysis, right? This is one of our things that we do in mm-hmm. that practice. Um, So I think we kind of lob on that experience and we were looking at the feedback including what someone might call negative feedback and say oh what they really want and Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing in this dissatisfaction is uh, a desire Mm -hmm. and a desire for this and so we were listening to both their excitement and also their points of pain and we were we made a whole series of classes that are gonna be now offered online and honestly both the Institute and I think that there's an absolute life for this after we're all back in the studio together because of course geographically we can't all be back in the studio Mm -hmm. together. One of the biggest complaints of the Laban community was that everything was very New York centric Mm -hmm. because the physical Institute is here Mm -hmm. and they were all over the world and they felt kind of uninvolved Mm -hmm. so suddenly we have found ways to involve them and solve some, feels like decades old problems in the membership community of Flaban and really make very solid offerings to them it feels like actually a very healing experience
0: amazing so and both with bartenioff and with your pedagogy class, it sounds like um, you've had a lot of people show up yeah that normally haven't been able to take your workshops because again it's online and they know of you and your work but they're not in New York city so you
1: know, yeah. They teach
0: they teach at a rural university or whatever, right? And now they can like, oh, cool, a pedagogy class I can take.
1: Exactly. There um, are, are a couple of um former students of mine who every time I post, Oh, I'm doing this workshop in New York always send me sad sad face texts. <laughs> I, I wish, wish I, I, could I wasn't take in it. Florida. Right. Wish I wasn't in Kansas. Yeah. And so now they're taking it from Florida and Kansas. Amazing. And it's also so gratifying for me because I've been craving having them in the room mm-hmm. all that time. They're mm-hmm. my perfect demographic. Somebody who's who knows me knows what I have to offer, and is hungry for the material through me. So it's mm-hmm. just like a perfect student. Somebody I don't have to, you know, sell anything on or prove myself to. They're right there, ready to go. Right. There couldn't be a you know more exciting student for me to have in the room. Suddenly, it's chock full of them.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's beautiful.
0: That's awesome. So some takeaway themes here. Um, lots of keeping your ear to the ground. What are the needs of people that are coming up in Facebook groups and conversations? Clearly speed of implementation, which is something I love to talk about and just diving right in and getting initiatives going. I mean, look, it's only been a few weeks since all this has gone down and we've just talked about four or five things here today that are new income streams, professional you know things for you and that have benefited other populations. That's just amazing. Um, and. And then I love how you said uh, empathy experiment. I mean, seeing a lot of this as experiments, too. I mean, that, like you said, you had no idea that first bartending of, of class was going to have so many people on it. And the other people were like, yeah, the mic was kind of hard because it was just your computer. Right. You set up your computer. And so if you turned away, you know, the audio is over here. Right. And like, and it's like, OK, the next time you've put have, up a light, you put up a wireless mic. mic, but it didn't stop over 100 well 100 people from showing up and more from buying the video right? right and with each one it'll continue to get better and yeah and you know now you have a page full of notes for the other teachers to yep. right yes so and
1: I I passed that on for future teachers and I would say if I can add one more takeaway
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that I think you know because I had Princeton still solid and I knew I wasn't just completely destitute I didn't have too much of a panic response. Mm-hmm. I think most of what I did, I, wasn't, I didn't go into the crisis immediately saying, okay, I gotta figure out how to make money. I gotta figure out how to, how mm-hmm. to, how to you know, shore up my income stream. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't really that panicked. And I know that some people are because mm-hmm. they have lost 100% and you know, I lost like 40%. So mm-hmm. I had a moment. And in that moment, most of what I was doing was actually just really listening to people to listen to people. It wasn't mm. listening to people to be like, "What do you need?" So I can sell you something. You know, right. it was really like I felt a lot of um, compassion and empathy for people who were going through. I mean, that's how the actor thing started. Mm-hmm. Just listening to my actor friends and heard how scared they were, and listening to my parent friends and heard how stressed and exhausted they were, and I was like, "You two people need to know each other." Mm. And so, you know, I put a good deal of work into creating that series. Um, and it felt really good to do it and it really had nothing to do with me selling anything or branding anything or anything like that. However, there was this kind of response or reaction or ripple effect of it that I entirely did not intend for Mm -hmm. and yet it happened and I was like, oh, I think because that came from my heart and Mm. it was actually an act of service and an offering. I wasn't trying to get anything out of it. I really was just trying to do something good in the world. It did kind of come back to me yeah in a really lovely way and so I think if it's possible not to go into things with an idea of mostly I have to make up money I have to make up my income stream but like how can I help what is going on who needs what there are people that are suffering so much right now and figuring out how to be of service and then maybe be of service through a skill set, through a set of, you know, protocols or, um, or systems that you have set in place and maybe have that feed somehow back into your life and become what we call in Laba an alumnus gate or like a Mobius band where Mm -hmm. one thing feeds into the other feeds into the first thing and Mm -hmm. it just becomes this ongoingness, this Mm -hmm. flow, right? When the biggest thing we lost was flow. Mm -hmm. And so... I think all of that, offering and listening and posting and just being there for people, putting people together, felt like it created flow Uh in my life, but then it created flow in my business, basically. Uh And I was not trying to. I wasn't thinking about money. Uh I was thinking about people, Uh and I think that was really the crux of why things happened in a way that was actually entirely unexpected
0: Uh to me. Awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave off with this conversation. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Alexandra again for coming on the show and sharing her experience with us. You can find out more about her at alexandrabeller.com. Now, don't forget, I've also put together for you a free downloadable training that goes through the five specific steps that Alexandra followed to get these income streams launched. And you can find that by going to impactdownloads.com forward slash pivot. That's impactdownloads.com forward slash pivot. That's it for this episode. Next episode, we'll get back to what I originally had planned uh, to release after the last episode. And again, we're going to talk about how to create content that gains more attention and drives more sales. And I'm going to share with you a five-part framework for knowing exactly what message your potential customer needs to hear in order to progress towards doing business with you. This is really going to help you when it comes to your messaging and marketing. We'll talk to you again soon.